All right, good morning. How are we doing? Awesome. You guys sound great from where I was, so uh, glad we could be together this morning. Uh, my name's John McLarnon, in case we've never met before, and I am, as Rob said, the uh, campus pastor, the site pastor down in Cary at our Crossroads location. I know many of you, uh, but then there's a lot of you I don't know, so I was, thought I'd just tell you a little bit about my family. My wife is here in the building somewhere, and she came to the first service, but then I went and peeked in on kids, and she's back there serving, so I don't know what's wrong with this lady, but it's like it's a day off, you know? Come on. But we have um, three kids, and our oldest is a son, and he's about to turn 21, and he's out in California doing a six-month internship, but we have two girls, and they're ages 16 and 18. Any other dads in the room? Not just dads, but dads with girls? Uh, okay, so we can talk for a second here. Um, I know that these girls are not perfect by any means, but they're beautiful. Are you with me? And so um, we have had some expectations over the years that if you're about ready to go out on a date and it's a guy that is a first date, then they should come over to the house. They should come inside. Let's sit down. And so I have this expectation that I'm going to be sitting across the room from this sweaty, pimple-faced, extremely lucky, right, and very nervous teenager, and I grill him with questions. That's kind of how I've always thought it would go. Now, the first two didn't exactly happen that way, but now we're down to this last kid, right? It's the baby of the family. It's our final child, and um, she's going to be at home alone, and so I've decided it's time to raise the expectations a little bit, all right? And so maybe you saw this in the past, but either on Facebook or floating around through email, there was an application for permission to date my daughter. Has anybody ever seen anything like this before? This is just, I, I condensed it down to one page, but it can be as many as five. And so um, I actually, you'll like this, I brought five copies this morning, and I only have two left. So <laughs> there's someone's raising their hand. Not today, my daughter, but in case you want to use it in the future, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> And, and so I gave it to, if you're like a teenager in the room and you know who she is and uh, you know anyone who's thinking they might like to date her, I think you should pick up an application for this. And uh, uh, because, and it starts with, this is great, it starts with, if you were to be shot, which part of the body would you not want to be hit? <laughs> and then it ends with, allow four to six years for processing. So this is a fantastic, so, all right, any dads with me, right? You understand this? It's like... Listen, son, here's what I expect from you. And if you don't meet the expectation, here's what you can expect from me. That's basically all that it's intended to say right there. So expectations. Anybody had some expectations in your life? You probably had some expectations when you went to college or you graduated from college or you've had some expectations when it comes to your career. We have expectations when it comes to our relationships, whether that's with your friends or you have expectations as a parent for your child or as a husband and a wife or you had financial expectations or right now today you have some kind of an expectation when it comes to a standard of living. That, and if, listen, if you've ever had an expectation for anything at all in your life, you'll know that those expectations will shape your experience Follow me here for a second, right? Your parents, when you were a kid, said, hey, Christmas is coming. Is there anything you'd like to have on your Christmas list? And if you're kind of around my age, you went to wherever your mom kept the um, catalogs and you pulled out the wish book. Anybody? And then you went through it and you found all the NFL stuff. Like, what's my favorite football team? And you circled different things and you put together a bedroom and you got some cool things. And then you turned in a Christmas list and then Christmas Day come and some of you got exactly what you asked for and then the rest of us, like me, got socks and underwear. That's what I'm talking about. 
Or how about this, right? You've seen this guy. It's a marriage proposal. Maybe you've seen a video or you've been there. And he's been planning this for a long time. He's gone out on a limb and he's bought a ring. And he's orchestrated it so that at halftime, it'll appear on the jumbotron. And he's disguised as a mascot. And he takes off the head and he gets down on one knee. And he proposes to this girl. And you've seen it, right? She falls into his arms and they embrace. Or she runs away and he never sees her again. Because anytime you have this expectation and your experience doesn't exactly match up to it, you have a gap that exists, all right? So think about this gap because somewhere in that gap between what you expected and what actually happened in your life can grow some really, really heavy stuff. See, in the gap grows frustration and discouragement and disappointment. So the question is, what do we do with this gap, right? I mean, some of us will say, well, that's just the way it is, so we got to suck it up and we got to move on. Others of us look at that and we go, well, I guess maybe I should just lower my expectations a little bit. But I think there might be another way. Because, and here's why all this is important this morning, at some point, if it hasn't happened for you already in your life, you're going to have an experience with Jesus that doesn't exactly line up with what you expected. And if we haven't actually thought about it or wrestled with it or figured out what we can really count on from Jesus, we might fall into this gap of being frustrated, discouraged, and disappointed. But what if we really knew what we could count on? I think it might, and I guess I think you'll agree with me in the end, it might better help shape our experience. So we're going to read a story about Jesus that happens in the book of Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bible, you can find that. If not, just raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to give you one. It's yours to keep, or you can borrow it for the morning. But Luke chapter 8, go to the middle, turn right, find Jesus, and then you'll come to Luke. While you're doing that, just a, a little bit about the series we're starting on today, Summer at the Lake. A lot of us are going to spend some time at the lake this summer. Anybody going to be doing that? Okay, not as many show of hands because the people that would raise their hand are probably at the lake. I get that. I understand that. But Jesus loved the lake too. By the way, he spent a majority of his three-year ministry hanging out at a lake and sometimes on it called the Sea of Galilee. Eleven of his 12 disciples come from this particular area of the country. He does a lot of famous teachings there. He performs some great miracles there, encounters a lot of different kinds of people, sets up his home base of operations around this lake. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend part of our summer together looking at different stories of Jesus that happened around this lake. So today I just want to look at this one in Luke chapter 8. And maybe you'll write this down or try to remember this. This is where we want to go this morning. Is that my expectation of Jesus will shape my experience of Jesus. All right? My expectation of Jesus will shape my experience of Jesus. Here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. So understand, Jesus and his disciples have been over on the east side. He calmed the storm. He healed a demon-possessed man. They got in the boat. They went back across the lake to the northwest side, which is where Jesus has set up his home base of operations. He gets off of the boat. There's an enormous crowd there waiting for him. Verse 41, a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who's about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. All right, first character. Here's this guy named Jairus. He's an important community figure. He's somewhat of a local Jewish pastor, and he's a father. 
And his 12-year-old little girl, his daughter, is so sick that he's willing to leave her side while she's barely hanging on. And without a miracle, it seems like she's likely going to die. I mean, I understand this a little bit. I'm a pastor and I have girls. And I know and you know that 12-year-old girls should not be lying in bed sick and about to die. I mean, 12-year-old girls should be out riding bikes. <laughs> they should be playing with dolls. They should be learning how to cook or what it looks like to wear makeup or watching Disney. They should be playing soccer, right? And yet I also understand, too, what it's like to be concerned for one of your kids. I mean, to try everything you possibly can to help them get better in some particular area of their life and to be sitting in front of what you think is probably the final doctor and say, listen, can you help us or not? I mean, that's what Jairus is doing, and he does something grown men, especially one religious leader to another, wouldn't normally do. He gets down on his knees because he's out of options, and he says to Jesus, will you please come? And Jesus responds. I mean, they start walking to Jairus' house. Luke says he was surrounded by a crowd. Now you got to think crowd, all right? Think state fair. Can you get that in your mind? Can you think fireworks show? DMV, whatever it means for you to have a crowd, that's what we're talking about. Verse 43, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. So new character enters. Here's a woman who's lost in the crowd with a 12-year-long health issue. She's been bleeding. I mean, she's been dealing with this health issue as long as the little girl has actually been alive. Uh, many people say she's likely bleeding from the uterus, or in female vernacular, she's having a 12-year-long period. Now, the men among us who dare or are just stupid may make your jokes and comments later. In the first century, this is a very serious matter. She was considered, as they would say, unclean. It meant that you just aren't allowed to have contact with people. Like, there's a law against this kind of thing. No marital intimacy if you are married. Not going to have kids. Or if she has kids, won't be having any more kids. Can't make a meal, right? Cook for your friends and hang out on the back porch. Can't go worship in the temple. Definitely, whatever you do, absolutely don't mingle with people. And she's tried everything. I mean, I kind of picture this woman who's tried everything as I've been to all the doctors I can go to. I've tried out all the healing centers that are available to me. She's maxed out her credit cards. Maybe she hosted a benefit. She's drained all of her savings and emptied her retirement. She has tried all of your homemade remedies, maybe even prayed, maybe even fasted and nothing changed. She's desperate, but she tries to blend in. Luke writes this, verse 44, coming up behind Jesus... She touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. She believes, right? I guess she maybe just hopes, if I can just get close enough, if I can reach out and touch him, if I can maybe just get a hand on his clothes, maybe I will be healed. Now, in Bible times, different rabbis would wear a prayer shawl. They'd drape it over their shoulders, and this shawl would sometimes come attached with tassels that would hang down off the edge of it. And so it was said that when a, a rabbi would hold up his prayer shawl like this, it would look like he had wings. And then there was this Old Testament prophecy that taught that someday a Messiah or a teacher is going to come onto the scene. He's not going to be like all the other rabbis. This one's going to be different. He's going to be special. And the phrase was, he would have healing in his wings. And maybe she knows this. I mean, maybe she knows this. 
So think about the two people we've met so far. Here's Jairus and his expectation. Jesus, if you will come to my house and touch my daughter, I think she'll be healed. Here's our woman's expectation. All right, if I can somehow touch Jesus, then I think maybe I will be healed. She touches him, the bleeding stops. You know what they're really saying, Jesus? We, we need what we've heard about you to be true. That's what we need. She touches him, the bleeding stops. You know what else stops? The parade to Jairus' house. <laughs> Here we are, verse 45, who touched me, Jesus said, and everyone denied it. And then Peter, who's always speaking up, whether he knows what he's talking about or not, master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. I love Peter. Here's Jesus, uh, who touched me, Peter? Um, Jesus, there are a lot of people here. And here's, here's how I like to picture Jesus giving him one of those looks like, uh, thank you, Peter, that was very helpful. Remind me again why I chose you. Will you please tell me? Here's Jesus, though. Listen, I'm fairly capable, Peter, of distinguishing between when an enormous crowd is pressing in on me and people are touching me from somebody who does it deliberately. Somebody did it deliberately. I just want to know who it was. Verse 46, and Jesus said, someone, here's his word, deliberately touched me, for I felt felt healing power go out from me. Now, here's what I think, and I could be wrong, but I'm just going with it. I think Jesus knows who it is. That's what I do. I think he knows who it is. I think he just wants to give someone a chance maybe to own up to it. Listen, it's like when I walk into our kitchen at home, and there's macaroni all over the counter, and there's cheese sauce on the floor, and the trash from all the packages hasn't found its way over into the trash can, and I walk in there, and what do I say? Hey, who did this? I already know who did it, all right? I already know who did it. I'm just giving somebody the opportunity to fess up to it and to own it. I think that's what Jesus is doing. Verse 47, when the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had immediately been healed. In other words, she's busted and she's afraid. After all, you shouldn't be here, right? Don't be in crowds. Don't go out there. Don't mingle. And I think she's afraid because she doesn't know exactly how Jesus is going to respond. But she tells her story, right? She tells the story. She tells the story. I was desperate. I risked. I touched him, I'm healed. And everybody in the crowd is listening to this story. Can we just acknowledge this for one minute? It's kind of like my first observation. Sometimes Jesus does exactly what you want him to do. He does exactly what you ask him. I mean, you prayed for it, you called other people to pray for it, you mustered up every ounce of faith you could find, you're even borrowing faith from other people. You asked something very specific from God, right? God... This is it, God. If you don't come through on this one, I think we're done. And the very thing you asked for, God delivered on. See, I I believe that maybe to use the phrase, there's still healing in his wings. I love what Christian author A.W. Tozer writes. He says, anything that God has ever done at any other time, he can do now. Anything that God has ever done anywhere else, he could do here. And anything God has ever done for anyone else, he can do for me. I believe that. And I think if you have some kind of a need going on in your life today, you should ask because I believe that still happens. And maybe today, right, that God will do for you what he does for her. And he says this, daughter, verse 48, 
Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In other words, you've been made well, not just physically healed, but emotionally restored and spiritually you've been made well. It's the only time, by the way, that Jesus calls someone daughter. I think he just wants her to know exactly who she is and who he is. You're my daughter, I'm your father. Now, now guess what she can do? She can hug people. I mean, she can go around and give high fives. We can hold babies, we can kiss them, we can, we can hug people, we can return to our normal life. And so here's what I think. I think everybody in the crowd starts to celebrate. I think there's a big party going on, you know? And, and everyone's excited about it, except who? Jairus, I assume. <laughs> See, when Jesus calls her daughter, I'm just guessing here, that it's likely just a reminder of sorts for Jairus that his daughter lays back home sick and about to die. And in that moment right there, during that celebration, we get this news, verse 49. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to her, the woman, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus. He told him this, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Now I need to press pause, and I think you need to feel the weight of that moment. Jairus, I hate to tell you, but your daughter's dead. It's like you're at a party and someone scratches the record. It's like everything comes to a complete halt. Because <laughs> I don't know if there's anything much worse for a parent, right, than to have your child precede you in death, unless it might be to have them die and you couldn't be there with them. He doesn't say goodbye, doesn't hold her hand, doesn't whisper we love you, and he's not there for his wife. See, my girls and I have talked about what their weddings might be like Hey, girls, someday when you get to be about 30 or so and we start talking about getting married, what do you guys want to do? Because I'm a father first, but I'm a pastor. And so one of the girls says, all right, Dad, I just want you to walk me down the aisle. That's it. All right, I can do that. But I have another girl who says, Dad, I want you to walk me down the aisle. I want you to do the ceremony, and I want you to make it funny. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I can picture this. Uh, doing the funeral, I cannot. So can we be really super honest for a minute and say this second thing? Sometimes Jesus doesn't do what you ask. Jairus? I mean, here is Jairus. What, what did you say? See, if I was Jairus, I'd start to blame. It'd go like this. Jesus, if you'd kept walking. Jesus, if you hadn't stopped. Jesus, you saved that daughter. Why didn't you save my daughter? See, Jesus, I heard you just calmed a storm. I heard you just healed a demon-possessed man. Jesus, it's actually reported that earlier you healed someone's servant and you weren't even there. You just said you're healed and he was healed. Was it really that hard? You see, this has been the experience for a lot of us in the room, if we're honest. It has been for me. You pray for something, you ask for something, you hope for something, and you believe so then, God, why is this still happening to my daughter? Why can't we figure out what's wrong with her? After all we've asked of you, God, why do my parents end up there? And you know what? I can easily side with Jairus on this one. Don't even bother. I mean, if you can't do this, what are you good for? See, if you've ever thrown up your arms and you said to God, I'm out, it's probably because you couldn't bridge the gap between what you expected him to do and what you experienced from him. It's like Jesus pulling the greatest psych move in history, right? Remember this when you're in junior high? If you're still doing it, cut it out. You go to make a handshake and then you pull back your hand and then you do like a quick brush through the hair. 
double pistol grips, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, uh, you acted like you were coming to help, but you didn't. I mean, talk about major disappointment. But, verse 50, when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. Let me ask you, in your worst moment, what do you probably least want to hear? Hey, if you say this to me, I will punch you in the face. I can tell you right now. Hey, don't worry about it. Just have faith. It's all going to turn out fine. But it's Jesus. And I guess he gets away with it because he knows something Jairus doesn't know. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, Jairus, I know it doesn't look good and you think you've lost, but don't leave the stadium because the game's not over. Uh, Jairus, I know your life looks like it's in the toilet. Don't flush yet. And you're all free to use that one, by the way. It's Jesus saying, hey, let's keep walking. Let's just keep walking. 51, when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she was dead. So here we are, right? We arrive at the house. They've already started the funeral process. You got people from the community, maybe a few girls who are over from school. There's mom. She's been there the whole time. And here comes Jesus, three guys you've never seen before, your husband, who's the pastor, and you. You got six people in the room around this little girl. By the way, can we say this? Call as many people in on your problem and your need as you want, as long as one of them's Jesus. And he says this, Guys, stop it. She's just asleep. Now, sleeping is often used as a way to describe death. It's Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to raise this girl back to life, and it's going to be as easy as waking a child from a nap. And I know what some of you are thinking. You never tried to get my kid up before. And the crowd laughed. See, here's the third thing I want you to notice. Sometimes Jesus does more than you imagine. Because then he took the girl by the hand, 54, and he said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Jairus, I know you asked me to heal her. I'm going to raise you and do you one better. I'm going to bring her back to life. My child, right? And I wonder if Jesus looks at Jairus to say, the only person that loves her and cares more about her than you is me. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat because that's what you do after a nap. And then it wraps up nice and neat with this bow. Her parents were overwhelmed. Of course they were. But Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Now, I don't have time to talk about that. That just sounds ridiculous to me. But here's the deal. I find these stories, I mean, I, I find them full of really great hope. I, I, I find a lot of great confidence in Jesus through a story like this. But I'll be honest with you. It raises some very serious questions for me. See, I take these two statements in verse 48 and verse 50, and I put them alongside of each other. Here's the woman. Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. He says to Jairus, Jairus, if you have faith, she will be healed. And here's my questions. I mean, have faith in what? Or how about this really personal question? I have faith. Why hasn't something happened for me in my life? And I think it comes down to how we really understand faith. See, I think there's a lot of different versions that we've been sold. One of them goes like this, right? I have a faith, so God must do this. 
It's like a vending machine approach, so to speak, right? I put in a dollar, I punch up B4, I want the Cheez-Its, I do the hokey pokey, and I get exactly what I asked for. I'm in control. I have faith. God must come through for me. My wife, Chris, is seven years old, and she heard this Bible verse that says, ask for anything in my name, and it'll be given to you. And she prayed for a pony. (laughs) And she put a date on it. God, I will have a pony By the time I'm 12 years old, five years later, nothing. Let me ask you this. Did she not have enough faith? See, there's another approach to faith that says this, right? God God will, God will do this for me. In other words, if I just don't give up, if I don't lose heart, if I dig deep and I find more faith, like a game of chicken, right? Eventually, God's going to turn at the last second, a guy by the name of Larry Parker wrote a book called We Let Our Son Die. It's a true story of a couple who withheld insulin from their son, Wesley, as they were directed through the influence of a faith healer. Wesley fell into a diabetic coma. The couple was told, you just got to maintain faith. They're not allowed to make any negative confessions whatsoever. In other words, don't talk to other people. Don't question whether or not a healing has actually taken place. And so they continued to just positively confess healing right up until the day that Wesley died. And rather than having a memorial service, they had what they called a resurrection service. They were eventually charged with manslaughter and convicted of child abuse. And they still had people come along the way and say to them, where was your faith? You see, some of us, and you need to listen, some of us have been sold versions of faith that says, if I believe, everything will always be okay and I won't have any problems. And it's not true. See, if you've ever thought or you've ever been told that, yes, you believe, but maybe just not enough. Or yes, you believe, but you gave up too soon. See, it's easy to believe that if Jesus failed my expectations, then one, maybe something was wrong with me. Or two, worse, God couldn't actually do it. Because if the expectation is that God should, then when God doesn't, a huge gap exists that's full of frustration and discouragement and disappointment. I'll just tell you what I think true faith is. See, I think true faith is not about God must or God will, but rather God is able. See, I think real faith, true faith, biblical faith is God is able. In other words, he has, he can, and he may. God's able, but if he doesn't or he does something different, I trust that he's still good and he's still great. See, what if the expectation was Jesus is able to heal me? And if he doesn't, for whatever reason, I still have faith. Faith in what? Not faith in the miracle then, but faith in the miracle worker. See, I think real faith is reaching out to Jesus, believing he can, knowing he might not, but trusting that someday he's going to do something more than you imagine. See, Jesus walked past lots of people in his lifetime that were Uh, sick, injured, hungry, and dying. I assume this girl eventually dies. (laughs) I assume the woman gets sick in some way in the future. And then what? I mean, then what? See, here's what I think. I think that every miracle Jesus ever does in the Gospels points to a greater miracle that he's going to do in the future. I think that what Jesus does for the woman and what Jesus does for the girl is just a preview of what he's offering to each of us in the room this morning. 
So it begs the question, I mean, what can I really expect from Jesus? What can I expect? I'll give you two things and we'll wrap the whole thing up. And I think they come right out of the story. See, here's the first one. What you can expect from Jesus, he cleanses. He cleanses. I mean, the Bible refers to our best efforts to please God as being like, and I'm sorry, it's just the way it refers to it, is being like this bleeding woman and her condition. It's the Bible word called sin, by the way, right? It doesn't matter how many things you try, that there's this sin thing that we live with every day and it just makes us unclean. And you can go down any road you want to, you can search out any answer you want to, but in the end, until we reach out in faith to Jesus and ask to be made clean, that's the way it's going to be. But whoever you are, right, wherever you come from, no matter how dirty or damaged your life, Jesus is offering to make us clean. That when we reach out in faith, he cleanses us. As we trust in him, he takes away our sins. And how does he do it? Through his blood. Here's the second thing I think you can expect from Jesus. He raises. He raises. Right? Jairus, his girl, they're this fantastic picture of our life too. And we say it all the time. I think we have to come to grips with it that we're going to die someday. (laughs) It's just the way it is. But Jesus is bigger than our greatest enemy. And for those who reach out to him in faith, those who are trusting him, he says, here's your promise that someday you'll be raised back to life again. A lot like the girl, I assume, right? The first look, the first touch, the first voice will be his. And there's a day, Jesus is saying, that when suffering, when sickness, all that stuff, it's not gonna be here anymore and people will be raised to life. So here's what we have. A woman is healed, a community celebrates. A girl's raised to life, a family is deeply grateful. So what if we just don't forget that? I mean, what if we just say, you know what? Jesus still does these things for those who have faith in him today on a much bigger, greater scale. He cleanses people and he raises people. But because we have a tendency to forget at times, Jesus gave us a good reminder. If you're on the front row, it's underneath your chair. The rest of you, you'll find it in the back of the seat in front of you. We celebrate communion here every week. I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ today, to participate in this with me. You see, when you peel back the top layer, there's bread, and Jesus said, this represents my body, which is about to be broken for you. You peel back the second layer, you find the juice. Jesus said, this is my blood. This this represents my blood, which is about to be poured out for you. And so I just want to ask you to take that with me this morning, to not ever forget, to not ever forget, right, to don't stop celebrating, to remember to be grateful for what Jesus has promised we can count on. So let's take that together this morning. We'll take the bread. And we'll take the juice. Just want to give you a minute this morning to maybe just pray, to talk with God on your own, to respond in worship. Thank God that we can count on Him for these things. He cleanses and He raises pray together this morning. Lord, today we come to you and we have a lot of needs in our life. God, we ask you to do a great work in our life. God, we ask you to intervene in situations. God, we ask you to take trouble away from us. And God, we believe that you can. Yeah, God, we know that you might not. And so we're trusting you that you'll do something greater 
far more greater than we can imagine in our lives. God, we thank you today that you make these promises to us, to each and every one of us, that you can cleanse us and that you can raise us. And we trust you for that. And we pray through your name this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, so glad you guys were here this morning. Maybe just think about this statement when you leave, that my expectation of Jesus will shape my experience of Jesus. And here's what we can count on, right? He cleanses and he raises. Now here's the question. Has that been your experience? I'm going to hang out down front with some of the other pastors. Love to pray with you this morning, meet with you. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week.